have a really special guest with us today that, that we're excited about. And I'm going to give everybody a little spiel on him because Lieutenant Stephen Cornell, he actually, he won a Chief's Award for 2019. I'm going to read through why he got this Chief's Award and then everybody will kind of have a better idea of you know, why we wanted to have him on the podcast and what we're talking about. So uh, Lieutenant Cornell uh, was honored with the Chief's Award for many years of dedication to the area of firearms training and instruction. So the story begins more than 20 years ago when Troop H, that's out west in Oklahoma, like all other OHP troops, had to ask permission from a local police department or sheriff to use their gun range. Most firearms instructors in those days were somewhat limited by the facilities available and the scheduling problems. In 1995, Cornell moved to Custer County. Short time later, he became a firearms instructor. That's when the real story begins. He started on what has to be one of the biggest individual efforts in the history of the OHP, when he began construction of a training and shooting facility on his own property. As you might imagine, this involved a huge amount of planning, gathering of materials, dirt work, general construction, and time. In the beginning, the property included a berm, targets, barricades, and a small metal building. Over the years, the range has developed into an elite training facility with movable paper targets, many types of steel targets, 100-yard shooting options for shooting, and even longer shooting areas. Site includes an obstacle course, temporary frame buildings for entry training, and a full-sized railroad car used for storage. And there's even an outhouse, hand-dug by Lieutenant Cornell himself. There are vehicles of all types to shoot over, under, from, into, and out of, and the vehicles can be pushed around as part of physical training. There's even a workout room in the barn. Cornell even recognized that there was a chance of being in a gunfight, prone in a sticker patch, next to an old cow patty, and he made that realistic scenario available. Several nationally recognized elite instructors have taught at Cornell's range. Other groups and agencies have recognized his effort and expertise by sending members to train at this facility. Wow. It's quite the undertaking. Thanks for being on our podcast, Lieutenant Cornell. You're welcome. Thank you, Sarah. How did this all come about? So were you always interested in firearms training and training other troopers about that? I'm sure this kind of developed over time. Yes, but before we get to the question, I just want to give credit to where credit is due, which is uh, to my uh, longtime friend and partner, Kendall Johnson, who actually wrote that uh, letter or uh, accommodation or whatever. And uh, I, I appreciate uh, what Kendall's done through the years, and thank you for recognizing what uh, what, what we've established out in Troop H. and uh, and. He did a good job on that write-up. He did. He's, <laughs> he's uh, pretty humorous. Yeah, so where, where, you uh, kind of talked to us about the, the interest in firearms training and how yeah, that came about. So, uh, and probably getting pretty deep into it uh, right off right off the bat, that uh, I, I feel very blessed in uh, in that I feel like I'm, I am uh, doing my calling and uh, and – I feel sorry for, or, and I say sorry for, and hey, this is where you're going to have to edit some stuff, my man, <laughs> that uh, um, it would be a, a sad state to go through life without really uh, uh, understanding and, and establish your calling. And, and I believe that firearms training and uh, um, doing what I do out in Troop H is, is my calling. And, and I truly believe that things were set in motion uh, relationships were developed from a long time ago. And, you know, even when I was, uh, you know, a kid, I don't know, seven or whatever years old that, uh, that I was interested in firearms. And I don't, uh, I don't know why my, uh, you know, my parents were, they were gun owners and, but they weren't really big firearms people. And, uh, but I always just had it, had an interest. And then, uh, you know, as, as pads go, I get to, uh, I get to uh, be a state trooper 
Uh, I had a, had a few things happen um, in my career as a state trooper. Um, I, I was involved in a, uh, a couple shootings early in my career that that edged me to uh, um, really taking firearms training seriously. I had some uh, very good relationships, established a, a lot of relationships with, uh, um, I mean, old school guys like uh, Mike Sherman, um, Stan Walker, and Todd Martin. Some of you won't recognize some of the names, but regardless of the situation that's become of, uh, of some of them, that um, their relationship and their, and their influence directed me towards the path that uh, to where I am today. I, you know, I was out in Cheyenne, uh, my first assignment, and got moved back to uh, Custer City. And uh, we always trained at uh, the uh, uh, Clinton Police Department range, which was uh, uh, built by um, I don't know if he was a captain or, a, or um, what he was back then, but it was uh, um, Bill Whedon, who was uh, retired Lieutenant Rick Whedon's father and Jeremy Whedon's uh, grandfather. And we always trained there, but it was at the airport in Clinton, and uh, we could only shoot pistols and shotgun there. We couldn't shoot rifles, and it was back in the day when we had mini 14 So uh, the emphasis wasn't really on the rifles too much, and— um, that was about in 1998 when I got moved, 97, 98, when I got moved back to Clinton. Uh, when we did shoot rifles, we went out to Burns Flat and shot into uh, just a, a dirt berm. Everybody's probably seen it that's been out at Burns Flat where they, uh, uh, what I was told, where they used to zero the uh, the guns on uh, B-52 bombers, I believe. There's a big concrete bunker, and uh, that's where we'd shot our, we shot our rifles. Well, um, because of uh, some restrictions at the uh, Clinton firing range and uh, there's a feedlot north of it and they they were kind of catching some rounds from the range so they were catching some heat about uh, closing the range and we didn't ever have any place to shoot well you know we had to shoot pistols in one place rifle in another so I, I thought you know um, hey I've got a piece of property it's actually my, my father's property uh, where I live and I and I had an old 4440 tractor that was my granddad's with a bucket on it and uh, so I just thought you know what I can build a range and so, uh, bucket by bucket, I, uh, I started, uh, piling dirt up and you know, this is just in this, in this process, uh, um, uh, a long step-by-step -step process that, that I, that I built the range It's kind of funny, you know, about the build, building the range. I've, uh, I don't have many neighbors out there, but I have one neighbor, uh, just to the South of me. And when I first started the range and I had, I had done quite a bit of work to it. Um, and you know, if anybody's been out to my range, they know it's kind of flat out there. So it's not, you can't, uh, you can't build the range inside the hill because there is no hill. And, uh, where I put the range, I came out of my, I went to my neighbor's house one day and drove out his driveway and right, right in front of his driveway, you could see the range and, uh, and it looks more like a junkyard than a range really. And so I felt bad about it. And so all the work that I'd already put in, I, uh, started the process of moving the range uh, about 200 yards north bucket by bucket to where it is current uh, location. So um, uh, so I had to move it and uh, just through the years and uh, literally uh, it's taken it's taken a lot of years to, uh, uh, to, to, to really to get the bullet trap, the dirt stacked up and then um, all the stuff that we do out there. Uh, so, so that, that that's what that's what started the process of uh, me wanting to do the range. I knew that uh, hey, we needed a place to shoot, and uh, you know the the highway patrol owns no ranges in the state of Oklahoma. 
And uh, so we had a problem. We couldn't shoot anywhere. We couldn't shoot rifles and pistols at the same range. So I thought, you know what, uh, I've given been given the opportunity. I have some resources where I can uh, fix this problem. And so the process of starting the range began. Now it's time for our question of the day, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Is it safe during a tornado for someone to park under a bridge? We see that quite often. We do, and that that's a really good question. We, um, you know, I've worked many tornadoes uh, when I worked in Cleveland County in the Moore area, and and we see that all the time. And and I think people, I'm unsure. I think that they, the hail and all of that. Maybe that's why they're stopping there, but. And there's a whole lot more science to it that I'm not, you know, capable to answer as far as, you know, how the wind moves around those structures and things like that. Uh, but from experience, I will tell you that it is not safe to park under those bridges uh, for science reasons, but also it blocks traffic. Um, and if a tornado is in your area, you've prohibited everybody else behind you from moving through and getting to a safe area, number one. And number two, you prohibit uh, law enforcement or emergency vehicles from getting through on the highway to get to people that may need help. It just becomes a dangerous situation. The best thing, obviously, when a tornado is coming is to get off of the interstate uh, and, you know, and find a place to stop. But under a bridge doesn't help you at all. Uh, it actually makes things much more dangerous, uh, especially if you're stopping in the roadway, which we see quite often, uh, you know, every springtime. Thanks, Trooper Foster. And now back to the podcast. How, how long would you say it took you to build your range? Um, I, would, I would say that it was around um, 2000. When this happened, 2000 or 2001, because we—that's about when we got our uh, the AR-15. We traded our AR-15 uh, system um, for the Mini-14. We we you know we went from the Mini-14 to the AR-15. So it was right about then, uh, because we we were new at the AR-15 uh, platform, and a couple of guys, Mark Walters and Todd Fenimore, went out to gun site. I'm sorry, not gun site. They went out to uh, uh, Clint Smith Thunder Ranch, and they brought back some uh, uh, info, uh, information about and techniques about running the AR-15. That was uh, it, it was it, it changed everything with the way how we uh, we ran the AR-15, and the, really that has uh, progressed through uh, through multiple different firearms instructors and multiple different um, troopers on on the rifle program. You know when say like. When, when I was in patrol school and even, uh, even, you know, before 2001 or 2000, that, uh, most of the shootings that occurred, uh, most of them were with the handgun. Well, if you'll look, and I, and I, I meant to get this together, this info at one point, but I have not. But if you'll look at the shootings that happened within the last 10 years, a high, high percentage of them are, are, uh, happening with, uh, with the rifles. So, uh, so it's a, it's a piece of information and it's a tool that uh, uh, we need to be very, very comp uh, competent in and confident in. It's a, um, and so starting with, uh, with, with Mark and Todd uh, going to Thunder Ranch and bringing that info. And that's where we really, we really understood that, Hey, we need to start in Not only do we, we need to incorporate rifle training with handgun training. And then we know you start getting some vehicles and shooting around vehicles and deploying from the unit. 
that uh, that's when that's when that process changed started and that was uh, that was about 2000 2001 when uh, i started stacking dirt and then when was it complete it's not it's a work in progress it's a work in progress it's never complete pro- it is it is, <laughs> it is how long until somebody could actually train out there from when you started building it it didn't take long i mean i i as soon as i got i had dirt stacked up uh high enough to where i didn't feel like i was going to lose around and uh really i just uh, propped up some pallets on t-post and we started shooting at it so it was uh in very short order that uh that we started shooting there and, and actually holding troop h qualifications and uh, uh some some other police departments would come out and uh, and train so it, it was pretty short order before we started uh, actually shooting at it you've made lots of money off of it um well not so much <laughs> not so much i mean yeah you just did all of this because that's how passionate you are about this i can um, tell it is, it, it, and it was, and I, and I truly, um, I don't think that back then I didn't realize that, you know, as I feel today, that it, that it, it's my calling and, and things were set in place. Um, you know, God gave me the, uh, the dirt out there, and he gave me an old tractor to, uh, uh, to get after it. And then uh, uh, at the time I had support, and, and I still do, but even back then, Jack Bennett and uh, Bruce Peoples, who were my, uh, my chain of command, they, uh, uh, they supported me. and. Um, building the range and, uh, you know, gave me time to train and, and gave me try- time to go to schools. And so I really, that, uh, I, there was a pathway laid out. And to me, looking back, I, I really believe that it was, uh, now it's, it's obvious to me, uh, through my resources, like I said, through my relationships and, uh, that it was, it's obvious what my, my, my calling is. And, um, and, and our calling is uh, as firearms instructors. And I don't think there's a trooper out there that uh, when they hear that uh, a trooper has been involved in a, in a shooting and, then, and that they aren't just a little bit jealous. And I don't say that jealous in a, in a sinister way, but uh, jealous in a way that, uh, that we all wonder if we're, if we're capable mentally and physically of, of doing the things that we hear that other troopers have done. And you know what, truly, uh, I, when I hear of someone get into a shooting, there's not one shooting that hasn't happened that, I, that, that in down deep, I say, yeah, I, I wish, I wish that would have been me. And like I said, not from a, from a egotistical or, or jealousy standpoint of just that, uh, am, am I capable? Am I, can, can I do that? And so vicariously really through, a. Uh, the training that we do out at, at Troop H and all the all the people that we've uh, that we've trained out there, that when these these troopers get into shootings, especially if I've uh, if I've had a, a chance to to teach in one of their academies where they've actually been to my house and shoot, that uh, you know vicariously I I really feel like that I was there just a little bit, even though that you know they may not listen or I may not have been on my A game that day and they didn't get much out of it. But if there was one, just one small piece of information uh, that they retained from the day that they came out there and shot that, uh, that made them safer, uh, more, you know, more safe and, and uh, accomplish their, their mission. Then uh, uh, I, I feel like that I was there just a little bit. And, uh, and that, that gives me satisfaction and that, uh, um, and contentment in, in what I do. And, and, you know, everybody gets a, can become not content with their job with, for whatever reason. And, uh, and, and this, and that's what holds me. And that's what the, I'm grounded in that, uh, that, that truly gives me uh, contentment to, to feel that way. 
And I can say as someone who's benefited from that, you know, I've been out there. Um, it, it is a it is a blessing. It's truly a blessing to have someone that took it upon themselves to help us later on down the line. So as a young trooper, and I know Mistel feels the same way, that we've had guys go before us like that that have really paved the way for us to be prepared. And so when we talk about in a recruitment standpoint, when I talk to young guys and young ladies about coming and joining the Oklahoma Highway Patrol, I can confidently tell them we have some of the best training in the United States of America regarding this. And uh, and it's because of, of things, you know, like Lieutenant Cornell. And, and uh, you know, I'm pr- proud to be able to say that. I would just like to follow up on the uh, the calling aspect of it. So this podcast, I, I knew that I wanted to have L- Lieutenant Cornell come on and we even, you know, we're trying to get retired Master Star- Sergeant Paul Howell on, on the on the same episode. And part of, uh, you know, the calling and knowing that, you know, regardless, n- regardless of what's happening, knowing that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And and for me, I will say, uh, you know, I read the book Leadership and Training for the Fight, and I've since made Sarah read it as well. And that is that is by retired Master Sergeant Paul Howe. And, you know, when you talk about calling and, and I, I would call it anointing on your life. And, you know, Lieutenant Cornell was talking about how all those things lined up for him. And, you know, now he sees it was his calling. And I've had a similar, I've had similar experiences. I've, I've been blessed enough to have people uh, mentor me and look out for me and, you know, give me reading lists. And, you know, then I, I sought it on my own. And I will say, like, looking back, like, I, I know why I read every one of those books. I, I can see it. I implement it. And that was one of the things, you know, Lieutenant Cornell is talking about how maybe one thing that he taught him, you know, is what got him home that night. And for me, it's it was, you know, you go seek training for yourself. And what I re- remind my guys out here in A is just because it isn't something at DPS doesn't mean you aren't training. And I get, I feel like so many times we get caught up and if it's not at DPS or not on the police one or whatever, that it's not training, but that's a lie. We got to get out of that box. So every day, pick some reading material, pick something to better yourself. If that's just training your mind or becoming an expert at the basics. And, and that's, that's my thing. I'm passionate about you become an expert at your basic operating system, and then you can speed everything up from there. And so uh, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, Lieutenant Cornell is definitely anointed to do what he's doing. And uh, I, you know, throughout my career took took things from people and I've taken a lot from Cornell. I was, you know, blessed enough to be on a committee with him and I pay attention. And, you know, you remember things that you don't want to do and then you try to emulate and, and, and use the stuff that you love about someone's leadership style. And so that's how that's how that lives on is by passing it on to the next generation of trooper and passing it on, you know, to every person you you uh, you break in, every person that you have you come in contact with, try to pass something on to them. So I I think Cornell is a perfect person to come on the podcast because I know everyone listening can uh, say that they've learned something from him. Or in some some fashion, even if it hasn't been on his range, they've taken something from his training program. So I, I the benefit, you know, I can't I can't brag on him enough, I guess. 
who were some of your inspirations or where did you draw a lot of your knowledge and in, in, in developing your training and leadership skills? Where did you draw from? Well, as far as the training, I have uh, I have had the opportunity to to train with with a lot of guys and under a, a lot of guys. But she mentioned uh, Paul Howe out of uh, CSAT out of Nacogdoches, Texas, and he was one of the first that was one of the first schools that I that I went to. Well, he was very, very influential about, uh, and I say my style or my thought process of, of how we train uh, at the, at the range, in that it's uh, it's it's simplistic and it's uh, it's repeatable, and he has a very uh, and I say structured. It's just a very disciplined system on uh, on how to get things accomplished, Be- and because when it gets right down to it, that. Uh, you know, shooting is, and and the things I say, I, they're they're not. Uh, I didn't come up with them. Someone else has said them, and I'm just I'm just stealing. I'm just repeating it. But uh, uh, that uh, shooting is simple, but it's not easy. And in in saying that, that uh, like Paul Howe is uh, big on the basics, and you learn a basic operating system because when it comes right down to it, that. Uh, you know, there's just a few things that that you do. You grab your gun, uh, you grip your gun, you aim it, you hold it, and you pull the trigger, and you repeat. and And so there's a lot of other things that influences that that basic procedure. But um, as as long as your what, whatever you're doing uh, takes you down the road with in in that context, that uh, that you're doing good work, and it doesn't have to be um, uh, fancy. Or even though there's uh, you know there's some very uh, high level techniques that you can that you can implement in in that system, but you, as long as you can implement that, that you are you're doing good work. And and so I so Paul really started us down the road of looking at uh, what's important as far as a a shooting system. And what's important on a shooting system is looking at history and saying, hey, you know, let's look at the last 20 shooters, that 20 shootings that troopers or police officers been been in, in been in. And okay, let's let's take some similarities in all those shootings and uh and let's apply that in in training. And so really that's what we we tried to do at at the range. And um, you know, that is uh, you know, deploying from your unit um with uh, with your rifle, being able to shoot around cover. Um, having default positions that you can fight around cover and that you're that you're comfortable with because when it gets right down to it uh, you can do all the uh, and I say high level or and I don't even call them fancy but when it gets right down to it you must put the bullets where uh, you intended intended to go in a very um, uh, composed manner using a, a good thought process good decision making um, being able to process information uh, rapidly and doing that in uh, and and if you're not composed, you cannot do that. And so, really, that that's kind of that's the tone, I believe that uh, that we have tried to implement out there uh, at, at the range. Uh, of Kyle Lamb with Viking Tactics was uh, he's he's another one that uh, was really uh, I really like training with uh, with Mr. Lamb. And, and, and we had him out. Uh, we had Viking Tactics out uh, at 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 the range at my house twice, and we had his uh, uh, Chili Palmer come out. Pat McNamara come out came out. An old school guy named uh, Pat Rogers with the EAG. He's now dead, but uh, he came out two or three times 
Um, but all those guys are really, it's just down to the basics of, Hey, can you get your hits? And, uh, and so that the, they were, you know, it's, uh, been influential. So, but I also want to talk just or, or touch on one thing that Mistel said about, uh, preparing and, you know, what you read, what you think about, what you, uh, um, what the gear that you buy. And, and so, and, and all that's great. And I'm going to relate this to, uh, uh, the, uh, your walk with God and, and, and being a Christian is that, uh, Hey, no matter what you, what you read and where you go to that, if what you think about and does not change your behavior, then you've missed the point. And if you read all, read all your, the, the right things, listen to the right podcast, but it doesn't change your behavior in relationship to, uh, training, you've missed the point because every day that I go to work, I know that I am one day closer to my next fight. And that may be a you know physical altercation or a TBI or, or a, it may be a gunfight. And so I really have to ask myself, um, hey, how prepared am I for this fight that's coming? Because the fight is coming. And so that's that we really like, want to portray to troopers that hey, take that to heart and and really think about um, what are you doing to prepare? How, how is that changing be, be your, your behavior? Not for your not just for your benefit, but the benefit of your family, the benefit of your partners, because it's not just you that are that that is going to uh, suffer if something bad get, bad happens to you. There will be a cascading. Uh, uh, series of events that happens that uh, will affect hundreds of people if if something bad happens to you and I get it that sometimes some some bad stuff happens but I I, I don't want to fail because because I am worse than the bad guy if that makes sense um, I don't want to fail because I failed to prepare um, and so that, that that really drives me in in my, my own personal uh, uh, my own personally disciplined because and, and I know it takes discipline, especially now, uh, you know, with the ammo crisis and some things going on and your and your resources, you have to work within your resources. And you may not have, be lucky as me um, uh, as that, that I have a, um, you know, or there's a range in my backyard. And that, that, that's great. Um, but we but sometimes it's difficult even to get to the range when you have to beg, borrow and steal to get to a range that's owned by Yukon PD or Shawnee PD or whatever, you have to work within your resources and you have to be very disciplined with your time and your resources. Um, and you know, this, the, there's an ammo crisis right now and it's very, very difficult to, to find ammo. So to, uh, to stay up on your skill, it's going to take, it's going to take a person looking at, okay, what, what, what do, what do you consider critical? Some critical skill because everybody's going to have a little bit different view on uh, you know how important a reload is or how important shooting and moving is, or or you know multiple different uh, um, things that you could practice on that you identify. Hey, I believe that these are critical skills, and you and you um, establish a a disciplined system given the resources that you have, if that means going out with 50 rounds a month with your handgun or your rifle and saying, Hey, I'm going to do 10 rounds deploying from the, the unit, 10 rounds on drawn, uh, you know, drawing my handgun, 10 rounds shooting from the ready, um, then, then do that, but do it in a systematic disciplined way, or I promise you it will, it, it will not get done. Um, and, uh, um, if you don't change your behavior, then, uh, you're, 
it, you're missing you're missing the point of uh, uh, whether you like it or not. If you're in law enforcement, that uh, your calling is this, and I, this comes from Psalm seven nine through ten. It's uh, your mission as a law enforcement officer. I believe is to bring. Uh, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts, my shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. So whether you like it or not, you know, you may be called to uh, um, uh, to bring a bad guy in custody, a very violent person, or you know what you're calling that day might be to uh, change a tire uh, for a grown, capable person on the side of the road that just doesn't know how to run a uh uh, full way or whatever, that uh, that's that is your mission in life. If you're in law enforcement, and, and I guess you apply those same principles of training, at least to to any to almost anything, whether you're whatever you're doing that day, like you said, whether it's changing a tire or taking someone to jail, or a lot of those principles, I'm sure, apply to no matter what you're doing, not just the firearms. Yeah, it's just a way of life. It's just a, a change in behavior, changing uh, what what we do, how we live. I know I've heard you talk about that a lot, Mistel. Yes, you have. You've heard a lot of rants about it, so I'll spare them. I'm sure there's probably plenty on other podcasts where <laughs> there might be gone on about it. But and you know, I think it's good for for everybody to hear. We've talked about how you know we call this podcast "Train Like a Trooper," but I mean anybody. Well, obviously for other people in law enforcement to hear, but anybody can apply these same kind of principles and mindsets to their life, what they do with their job, what they do in their personal life. Well, and then, you know, this is always a, a gut check too. you know, whoever's listening and they haven't been doing it. Like, you know, that's why you know, whenever we first started this deal and, you know, I told you it was more, more important to me to have something for the guys. You know, yeah, we wanted to reach out to the community, but it was more important to me to do something for the guys and girls and, you know, my partners out there because uh, it's, it gets easy to lose sight of what is truly important and... I wanted to have something specifically for them, you know, because regardless of what's going on in the world or, you know, COVID or whatever, like it, you know, I'm not untouched by it as well. Like there are days that I'm not as motivated as others or, you know, I need something, I need a fresh new perspective. And that's why, you know, doing the podcast and, you know, me saying we have to do something for my partners. We have to, we, that is the most important thing to me. And that's why having people like Lieutenant Cornell come on here and talk about this stuff is it's a nice gut check. Have you been have you been doing what you should be doing to prepare? Um, you know, no one's going to do it for you. And uh, sometimes it's just a nice reminder to hear it from someone you respect, you know. And the way I look at it, too, is it's more about taking care of my partners than it is me. And whenever I found that whenever you put your focus on somebody else, it drives you even more to do it. Uh, better and and more efficient uh, than last time. Well, and we've been in that situation together plenty uh, of times, plenty of times. Like I can I can say that, you know, throughout our whole careers, like Eric and I have worked uh, the Metro together, primarily the Metro together all, you know, all eight, almost eight years now. And we've been in a lot of different scenarios together. And I will say when you, you know, you care about your partner and obviously, you know, your family, but you care about the people you're working with. It's not, it's no longer about me. Like Eric's well-being comes before mine. That's good. I'm I'm glad you 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 brought that up. It it, it jogged my you know my thought process just a little bit about uh, relationships and uh, the the value of re- relationships and 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 I you know I'd like to touch on a few of them maybe at the in a little bit. 
Um, but on on staying disciplined and um, changing your behavior. So like like yesterday, that uh, uh, just out of the blue, uh, Kyle Johnson called me and said, "Hey, let uh, let's go shoot." And uh, and Aaron Hunter came out also. And because it is, it's very difficult to, difficult to go out and uh, shoot by yourself. It's it's kind of mundane. And but if you can get your partners together, even just two or three partners, and really that's uh, I, I'm going to say that uh, that it is irrelevant on on what you shoot, you know, what you practice on, just as long as you're out there shooting some, because all shooting is good. You know, I've uh, I had an instructor tell me that. Uh, if you don't get something out of a school or a, a class you go to, it's not the instructor's fault. It's your fault because, you know, uh, an instructor is never going to say uh, you're never going to agree 100 percent on whatever technique or whatever strategy they're doing. But every time you pull the trigger, every time you uh, uh, draw the gun, every time you go to position a cover that uh, you should learn something. And so even if a school is boring and mundane and all you're doing is standing on your on your feet and drawing and shooting well that the, the shooter should learn something from that and some of the best times i'm i'm so blessed to to have what we have out there at uh, uh two south one east of custer city because some of my best times on the highway patrol as far as camaraderie and relationships has been on that range and and it's just right there i can see it from my house and and they have the my my best times have been out there, and I believe that the best times there'll be many many more uh, good times to come out there, and uh, and when you go shoot with your partners, that uh, it, it always ends up uh, being productive because um, you feed off of each other. Someone will come up with a drill, and like I said, I don't care what you're doing as long as you're out there shooting, it is beneficial. Um, and, you know, so so going back to these relationships that uh, uh, what we have out in Troop H, I, I am, am so thankful for the relationships that have influenced that even just uh, uh, just slightly. And I know that, you know, I was going to try to name off some, but I, literally there are hundreds of 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 people and, and hopefully, uh, uh, you know, people that are listening that they, that that understand that that they've had a relationship or they've had a, an influence on uh, what, what goes on out there, you know, like I've already mentioned Mark Walters and Todd Fenimore and Danny Long and Brian Costanza, Carson Cabness, Trent Kiesler, Matt Malines, my brother-in-law, uh, Chris, uh, Aaron Hunter and his brother, Chris, that, uh, there's been so many people on the patrol that have, that have influenced and had, uh, had, and, and are vested in, in, in the range at Troop H. Uh, and even goes it even goes past uh, uh, the troopers. We have so much uh, support and and uh, especially right now that uh, our relationships with uh, with our citizens and our business owners in, uh, in in our community. You know, I have Kevin Jones with Tanax Energy and uh, Chad Colbus with uh, BlueWarrior.org, which is a nonprofit organization that they have uh, um, they they send trooper, they send police officers, uh, law enforcement officers to classes and they pick up the tuition. They've sent me to a couple classes. They've sent other troopers to classes. They, uh, they, they support us greatly. And without that support, uh, from the community and from other law enforcement officers that, uh, the range out there, it would be, it'd be nothing but a pile of dirt. Um, but we've, I'm, I'm so blessed to have, to, to have all that, uh, 
uh, that support and those relationships. And like I said, I don't, you know, your guy looks at the, that uh, I'll have 26 years on, I guess there's there. And he guy starts looking at, uh, at retirement. And I look at that range and I just think, oh my goodness, you know, some of the best times I've ever had have been at that range. So what's going to happen in X amount of years when I retire, you know, are there, are we not, are people not going to shoot out there anymore? Am I going to doze it down? What's, what's going to happen with that? And it's, uh, it's, uh, it gives me some anxiety and, uh, you know, and I'm, and, and I get sad about it a little bit to think that, um, you know, maybe someday uh, we won't gather as a group, a group of friends out there uh, training and trying to do better. And uh, so I'm going to do everything that I can that, uh, hey, it, uh, even when I'm gone from the highway patrol, that uh, it's still in use and, and guys like Trent and, and Matt and some other guys that are uh, Carson cabinets that, that they can go out there and continue the use with it. So. Now it's time for the Highway Safety Update, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office. The Oklahoma Highway Safety Office believes that access to data and information is important to improving safety in Oklahoma. That's why we have a lot of information posted on our website. Are you interested in what kind of crashes happen in your city or county or right down the road from your home? We have that information on an interactive map on our website. The interactive crash maps show all kinds of data, from distracted driving crashes, teen driver crashes, rural versus urban, alcohol and drug related, and many more areas. The maps show you day of week, month of year, and even hour of the day for the selected crashes. Take a look and explore the information for yourself by visiting ohso.ok.gov, scroll down at the bottom of the page and click on crash data. None of these crashes were accidents. All of them could have been prevented. We ask that you do your part, slow down, buckle up, put your phone down, always drive sober and drive safe. Live up to the Oklahoma standard. And now back to the podcast. You obviously have a lot of respect from, you know, the troopers that have come up behind you. And um, so that's why it might be kind of fun to bring up a little fact that you let slip just before we came in here into the podcast room. You're very... You're the image of the clean cut trooper, but you were not always so clean cut. You told us you used to have some ponytails. I, yeah, I had a ponytail <laughs> at one time. I had a ponytail. Uh, um, I can see it. I can see it. I can kind of see yeah. it too. Yeah, they always said the the the. Not that I'm a good trooper police officer, but the best police officers were uh, uh, were the kids that were kind of on the edge. They could go one way or the other, and I don't know what. The, uh, what got, well, you know what, I'll tell, I'll tell you what got me is, uh, my wife got me and, um, uh, and completely changed the trajectory, uh, trajectory of my life. And, uh, uh, went from maybe, you know, borderline, uh, uh, outlaw to, uh, to, to lawman and, and who knows, maybe, uh, uh, borderline outlaws do make the, the best police officers. I don't know, which I, I've got to say, and I meant to, to, uh, throw this and, uh, in there and I kind of forgot, but, uh, you know, I've already mentioned my dad who's so supportive of, uh, letting me junk up the place with junk cars and everything else. And, uh, but I also really want to, uh, um, thank my wife who puts up with so much, um, you know, from the point of, uh, um, 
you know, trying to put the kids in bed and there's a bunch of troopers out there shooting and it's late at night and she's, you know, saying, you know, y'all ever going to stop shooting? And, uh, and then after, uh, you know, after a day of shooting that, that five or six troopers are come inside and want her to make coffee for them. And, uh, um, she just, she has put up with a lot and, uh, and I appreciate her greatly and, uh, so supportive and, uh, continues to be that way. And, that's awesome. And, and the, hair, you said the hair was long enough that and she used to braid it for you. She did. She braided my <laughs> hair when I worked at the feedlot. And uh, so one of these days when I grow up and uh, uh, I always want to be a cowboy when I grow up. So I, who knows, maybe I'll go back to being a cowboy and I'll, I'll grow my hair out again. In your next career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Lieutenant Cornell, we, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast with us. And I think you have obviously you have a lot to offer to younger troopers and and anybody who's in law enforcement so we really appreciate you imparting all of your wisdom to us no it's just a fraction yeah it was that's just a fraction i know we'll have to do another podcast at some point in time you're not off the hook yet okay